So I, I need a kind of good routine in doing the show, how to do it, you know, how much time I'm, I haven't been putting time into preparing for the last few weeks. It's kind of been a vacation or a break, but really it hasn't felt like it because I've just had so much to do night to night. But uh, maybe that's just working full time for you. A lot of people do it. A lot of people work more than a full time job. Man, it really sucks. And it makes me steamed. Why I'm a leftist. Why I want a world with less work. I'm kind of an anti-worker that way. Well, I'm not anti-worker, but there's the anti-work movement, which is like the point of view that it seems to be natural that we should want to work as little as possible, that we want less hours, more pay, or not a decrease in living standards, or we would accept a decrease in living standard if it meant we didn't have to break our backs or our mental health or our brains. But, you know, what would you give up? What do you even get now? You know, was was it count? Really, we actually just want people who make more than 300000 to give up whatever lavishness they have in their lives that we, normal folk, people on median incomes, don't. Okay. So, kind of a joke story to on the national stage, but obviously deadly serious to us activists as well as especially when the criminal injustice system uh, screws many people all the time. Now, if basically someone um, released cockroaches in the Albany courtroom, so it had to shut down for a day, that's one less day where there are proceedings for evictions and, and not only traffic tickets. You know, the national joke would be, you know, I think maybe on the New York Post, like, you know, well, if the length someone would go through to not get a parking ticket, well, if you're a privileged, you know, uh, jerk face, then yeah, you've only gone to court or if you only had to interact with the criminal in justice system with like some traffic tickets, some ticket, some, some fine that involves driving, you know, it's always the driving, but for the working class, the poor, the, un- the broke, it's, it's a place of oppression and oppression. So here's the headline. This is uh, the blog is 100 Black Men of Broome County. Here's why giant cockroaches shut down an Albany courtroom. Things got buggy in response to a violent arrest caught on camera last month. Officials failed to suspend officers. So here in Albany. On Tuesday, June 7th, a pack the court protest took place where hundreds of hissing cockroaches, uh, hissing roaches, were reportedly released into the Albany courtroom, forcing the courthouse to shut down for 24 hours and prompting the cancellation of several scheduled arraignments. The disruption, which occurred at Albany's criminal court at One More Nav, was in response to recently leaked video footage of New York State troopers violently assaulting and arresting a disabled black woman at a New York State Capitol at the Capitol last month. Capitol referring to the building, not the city. In fact, according to protesters, all of the bizarre events that transpired on June 7th were a direct result of New York State troopers, led by senior investigator Marcus Wathor, targeting and attacking an unarmed disabled black woman on May 17th inside the Capitol. At the time of this writing, none of the officers involved in that assault have been reprimanded. According to witnesses... Dozens of community members and organizers crammed into the courtroom on Tuesday to support the Capitol victims during their arraignments. Unfortunately, this blog post does not say 
what the protest was in the Capitol. I just assume, let's just assume it was. Maybe it was about housing justice. As the New York legislature has not moved on just cause eviction, which is actually what I originally thought this protest was about. But maybe it was a protest in the Capitol, and then you respond to the abuse, police abuse of protesters or of protests itself. Police were reportedly confrontational with supporters as soon as they entered the public seating area of the courtroom. Officers threatened to remove three separate men for wearing hats prior to the proceedings. Now, the woman was threatening with arrest for standing instead of being seated. But there likely isn't enough seating room. Certainly City Hall doesn't. And uh, Kleana Lightborn, a black woman, was ordered to hand over her phone that she repeatedly was seen holding while waiting for arraignments to begin. This all occurred before 8.40 a.m. within the first 10 minutes of the courtroom opening to the public. When Lightborn did not immediately relinquish her property, police attempted to snatch the device from her hands, which prompted three other women in the courtroom to physically intervene and attempt to stop law enforcement. To the shock of witnesses, police pushed through these three women and forcibly placed Lightborn under arrest for the crime of filming in court. This particularly set the courtroom into a frenzy, as attendees were already in court to protest police attacking and targeting black women. Court officials repeatedly ordered everyone to be seated, but participants refused due to the abusive treatment of Lightborn and the women who came to her aid. I mean, why should they be peaceful if the court is not being peaceful either? Four separate witnesses sitting behind Lightborn during the disturbance later confirmed she was not filming in the courtroom at all, if we choose to believe them. I would, is what I'm saying. Enter the roaches. Before Lightborn could be escorted out of the courtroom, a woman began screaming. That's when it became apparent that the courtroom had suddenly become inundated with what appeared to be hundreds of large insects, later identified as harmless Madagascar hissing cockroaches by the DEC, Department of Environmental Conservation. Chaos then ensues. Several officials ran out of the courtroom in panic. Officers first told attendees to remain seated before changing course and ordering the courtroom evacuated. There was pushing, running, and general disorder. Lightborn, still in handcuffs, was the only detainee not evacuated from the courtroom and was instead issued to remain seated. Evacuees outside began peering through the first floor windows of the courthouse to ensure Lightborn wasn't further isolated or abused by law, law enforcement while in custody. Huh. That building does not have good windows, though. They're kind of like fortress-y kind of. It's a kind of a fortress building. I mean, it's meant to project strength and stability, stability, what have you. Police first attempted to stop the spread of the roaches by corralling them with various objects. When that failed, they attempted to stomp on them, one by one. Many of them were the size of small mice. After five messy stomps, an officer repeatedly yelled, Stop! They're too big! <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. At this point, the back of the courtroom was also being evacuated as the roaches continued to spread through the chamber and adjoining rooms. A maintenance worker was called to the courtroom. He quickly left and returned several minutes later with an industrial shop vac. Ah, that's a good tactic. And received the suck-up individual roaches swarming the public seating area. But by now, the lightning-fast roaches were everywhere. Another court official opened the door from an adjoining room and announced they'd made it into her office. Yes, a uniformed officer noted roaches had gotten to the judges' chambers as well. A decision was made to call an exterminator and shut down the building completely. Meanwhile, across town, 
While all was going, all this was going on, a second demonstration was getting underway across town at the Capitol itself, where New York State troopers had attacked the initial victim last month, as it usually is. Mayor Sheehan was seen being escorted from City Hall by security detail in a dark SUV around 9.45. By 10.15, protesters had completely taken the streets between the Capitol and City Hall. I guess that's referring to Washington Avenue. Within one hour of criminal court being shut down due to cockroaches, protesters succeeded in blocking the busiest intersection at the middle of workday. While the intersection was occupied, a contentious speak-out commenced condemning the actions of troopers, New York State troopers, and the organizations that enabled the arrest and injury of, the black, of a black woman at the Capitol. This disruption lasted for well over an hour, with law enforcement watching from a distance and not attempting to disperse the crowd or reopen the streets. Sort of odd, but also welcome as an activist. Word of the Capitol disruption quickly got back to the courthouse. Law enforcement were reportedly overwhelmed and baffled at how demonstrators have managed to effectively shut down multiple government operations in such a short amount of time. They turned their attention to the one person they had managed to arrest amidst the chaos. Picture of Lightborn. Although Lightborn had been in custody before any intersections were shut down or any roaches had been spotted, police began adding several more charges to her initial arrest. At one point, family members waiting on Lightborn's release were told by court police that she had been charged with seven felonies, including animal cruelty, and would be transported to Albany County Jail for at least a day, a full 24. Those statements, however, proved to be false, as Lightborn, who has no criminal record, was released by 3 p.m. and given an appearance ticket for much lesser crimes, as is usually the case. They usually try to scare you for a lot of stuff. Lightborn was kept in handcuffs for over six hours, Charged with various misdemeanors, such as resisting arrest, the actions of bystanders who attempted to intervene, and one felony for destroying video evidence on her phone. So, it's like she was shooting video, but she's destroyed it. Two crime, double crime. But Lightborn and several witnesses attest that she was never filming, hence why no evidence was found. The phone in question was confiscated and sent to forensics to confirm these claims. Though I will say, it is possible there is an app that you uh, can film things, especially it's literally designed for filming cops uh, by cop watchers. And if it is picked up or not locked um, up or, or code isn't punched in before you kind of give it up, uh, it will... Well, uh, well, first off, the video is like being recorded on a secondary server, so it's not being saved on the phone. So there's no record of the video on your phone. And secondly, the phone shuts off if it isn't in your hand. It's kind of complex in that way, but it ensures that you are not implicated for filming cops, as there are some states, especially this was back in 2014. You had states passing laws making it a crime to film cops. And even when it isn't a crime, you'll have uh, cops confiscating one's phone, never returning it, and you'll never see it again. Maybe. Lightborn, who is a well-known organizer in the Albany area, was also never charged in relation to the roaches because she was in custody well before they were observed. Despite being abused by police during her arrest and having no direct involvement in either protest, and by the way, abuse by police can be very broad, it can be included not being allowed to go to the bathroom. You know, you're being held for like eight hours, and, you know, if you need to go, they're going to go, no, you got to stay seated. You're going to... 
you got to tough it out, you know. <laughs> um, not saying that's all like when, when someone says oh, this person was tortured by the police, that's like the only thing that happened. But I'm just saying like that's like the minimum level of like they're going to keep you in discomfort for hours on end, which is, you know, has some things in common with various torture tactics. Certainly not humane treatment. At least, you know, sometimes humane treatment is not kicking the, the crap out of you. Um, Lightborn was terminated from her job as an... So, despite being abused by police during her arrest and having no direct involvement in either protest, although she was there, but was she present as a protester? Or, I'm not sure. Um, Lightborn was still nonetheless terminated from her job as an upstate regional director serving under New York State Senator Andrea Stewart-Cousins. That's one of the state leaders of the Democratic Party, shortly after being released. In the past, Senator Cousins had been a vocal in condemning police brutality against black Americans. Where is she for her sister? Her employee? Some loyalty. So it asks, uh, So here, here's some, a list of um, resources for supporting Lightborn. Advocates are asking community members to call on the senator to request Lightborn be reinstated, at the very least. Emails can be sent to Stuart Cousins directly, which is scousins, C-O-U-S-I-N-S, at New York, or N-Y, senate.gov. Additionally, community fund has been established to cover Lightborn's housing and legal fees while she fights the charges levied against her. And there's a link to the donations. This will be included in the show notes, or I will you know, post it on my Facebook page. I covered that, and someone wrote a poem under the face in the Facebook page, um, Capital District for Progressive Policing, formed back in 2014 or so. Wasn't who was the man killed in Jersey over Lucy and choked out? Eric Gardner. It was formed after Eric Gardner first pushed for police reform, at least since I've been an activist. So here's a poem. The courtroom was bugged. Rents too damn high and properties languish. So tenants decided to vent all their anguish. T'was off to the courtroom to make their case heard, but the judge did not want them to utter a word. No video record was allowed to be made. The girl had her phone snatched, got a perp walk parade. In the midst of the tumult, some roaches appeared and set off a scramble and got the court cleared. How did they get there? Did someone invite them? Get them riled up, deliberately incite them? Or maybe they showed up on their own accord, because the feelings of roaches are often ignored. Rent's too damn high. Tenants evicted. But it's not only leases of whom pain's inflicted. For tenants, always there's always a welfare hotel. For roaches, there's always a free roach motel. So like tenants protesting all this gentrification, roaches did stage their own demonstration. Thank you, thank you. Now, amidst this, on the other side, I'll finish the show uh, if there's time with, with kind of the middle ground. But right now, from the Times Union, which is my favorite source that I'm not going to be paying for, because it is too much, um, really, in cost. It's Maybe it sounds hypocritical slash paradoxical for me to suggest this, like the business model couldn't take it. But like I would like... I think the Times Union would be doing better if they sold what they produced a la carte instead of all at once. You have to buy the paper all at once. You uh, Whether it's all digital or digital and paper, 
it's it's hundreds of dollars. Like two hundred like it was like a hundred and eighty No, 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 that's that it's see it's it's actually it's like two hundred a month. That's why like it, it was my jaw dropped actually when I read the price that it was um like where where a streaming service is, you know, ten, fifteen dollars a month, that's what the times union is per week. So you you know, do the math. So this is called uh, Landlord Rights Nonprofit Expands into Upstate New York by Ashila Cohen. Published uh, June 7th. A group of real estate prof- professionals formerly housed under the New York Capital Region Apartment Association, which makes them think they're like about renters, but they're actually the opposite, the owners of apartments. They have switched gears to become established as the Apartment Professionals Trade Society of New York. Now, what is an apartment professional trade person? This is a fancy way of, as, as the title says, landlords. <laughs> this, is a, this is the PC language. This is the PC language. Because uh, landlord, you know, it's, it's so negative, right? They're not lords. They're not always owning land, right? Lording it over people. The housing experts rebranded their organization after undergoing some leadership changes and expanding their coverage to include all of upstate. APS, APTS of New York, is an affiliate chapter of the National Apartment Association composed of homeowners, developers, industry suppliers, and property management companies focused, focused on educating homeowners and lobbying for and against different housing legislation. What kind of legislation could we be talking about? So the industry has changed dramatically over the past few years, making it harder to own and manage properties, ultimately causing some to exit the industry. Apes Apps of New York strives to reverse that trend by keeping owners local, keeping them informed, and ensuring legislation is fair to tenants and owners, the organization said in a press release. Uh-huh. Cry for the for the petite bourgeois landlord. Apps of New York has lobbied to halt certain legislation from being ratified, such as the proposed good cause eviction law. The proposed bill did not make it into the state budget this year, but remains a hot topic. Good cause eviction would prohibit res- rent escalations of more than 3% without justification and end no-fault evictions. Now, hey, here in New York, for the last, how long? Since the mid-aughts? I forget the year. I, I was too young to remember. But we've had a, a cap on property taxes. You can't raise property taxes more than a few percentage points a year. Right? We call it the property tax cap. Why not have such a limit on rent increases? Or price increases. If we're going to cap the amount that government or municipalities can fundraise, then why can't we have the same restriction on the growth of income and revenue for owners and corporations and what have you? Because, well, the agenda of the right or conservatives, what have you, is to shrink government, but not their profit, not their profits. But at the same time, they'll say, oh, profit isn't really what's important. 
you know, being having diverse and and uh, you know, and having things like what was the language they used? They um, keeping owners local. That's that's what it's about. Keeping owners local. Now that's sort of true, right? You know, when there's certain restrictions, um, smaller owners can't compete with larger owners. Meaning, large, you know, smaller business can't compete with large business. Those smaller businesses can barely compete as it is. They're not really in this, playing the same game. So there's sort of like there's a kernel of truth, but at the same time, when you include in the list of the groups that they serve to be also, you know, property management firms, the large industry suppliers, you know, the, the, these aren't your local mom and pop landlord who owns two row houses or something. So they have an income into retirement. Let's see. Apps of New York has, yeah, okay. The legislation bars landlords from ending a lease with the exception of lease violations for things like missed rent or other infringements. You know, the usual reasonable reasons for evicting someone. But that implies that there are many ways that people get evicted that are not fair. It's not a matter of them missing rent or breaking something or violating their lease. No, um, you know, you're, you're evicted because they came out as trans, for example, put in relevant identity, or they're a worker, or they have a legal status, or they really wanted a pet or something like that, although that could be in the lease. No pets. Apps of New York board president Kara Rafferty said she believes good cause eviction removes landlord's right to remove a tenant breaking the law for something other than missing a rent payment and that landlords in upstate New York aren't likely to raise rents so ridiculously as those who are downstate do. So we just have to take their word for it is what she's implying. That there's, you know, they're, they're not as likely. I'm not hearing a reason to, that would prevent them. You know, what, what, there's not enough market incentive. If there isn't now, there will be later. And what, and, you know, and even if there isn't, what is stopping it? What is stopping radical rent raising? It's the same market. It's the same system. It's not enough to just say, oh, we're upstate and they're downstate. You know, things can be super exploitative downstate, but not up here. We're good. We're, we do ethical capitalism. Get out of here. There are many ways to solve the problem, but giving the less rule-following tenants a scapegoat only protects some of the harm is more massive than the solution. Okay, so what is the solution, Rafferty? Now, while, while Apps of New York is fighting good cause eviction, organizations advocating for tenants are pulling for it. Similar statutes already exist in some upstate areas, which include our city, Fair City of Albany, Beacon, Newburgh, Kingston, and Poughkeepsie, as well as in several other states, including all of New Jersey and California, but not all of New York. United Tents of Albany Executive Director Canyon Ryan uh, thinks good cause eviction is a fantastic piece of legislation. He said contending the bill would strip landlords of their rights is inaccurate. Rather, the law would mean a landlord can't evict a tenant without a reasonable purpose, and it grants renters protection against unjust evictions. So it's rather saying... Right now, landlords hold all the power, and tenants don't really have actual rights. There aren't such a thing as tenants' rights, 
but most are not educated on what they are. And it doesn't help that they don't actually have protection against unjust eviction. That a landlord can decide to evict someone or say, I'm not renting to you anymore. Because to say like, oh, they commit a crime or they may be committing a crime. Well, maybe they need a, a, a conviction first, huh? You know, and and why is, let's say, conviction something you would discriminate someone for? Oh, yeah, there's practical reasons. But it's similar to ban the box, where you won't hire someone who's has an arrest record or who has been to jail. You know, you're consigning them to basically being broke their whole life, to being underclass, to being a nothing. And that's what it feels like to be on the end of the, uh, an unjust eviction. Now, Ryan found that increasing rents and a lack of good cause needed for eviction makes renters, such as himself, a transit population, unable to settle into a community and grow. He believes this legislation could end that. We just want to keep tenants in their homes, he said. While working to stop good cause eviction for going into effect, Apps of New York is also advocating for landlord rental assistance and emergency rental assistance programs. They got no end of that kind of money during the pandemic. Long story short, we want to keep funds coming in for those that need them, Rafferty said. A big, you know, the government needs to pay landlords to not kick people out of houses. A big mission of ours, you know, in this case, it's like, why not just nationalize the houses, right? You know, the state should just take it over. It should just be a, a matter of governments. Make housing a right. And then, and, you know, and the good cause eviction is a, a step towards, you know, enshrining, actually providing that right in documentation. So a uh, long story short, um, yeah. So a big mission of ours is to create good, safe homes for residents. That is what we do. And to do that, we also need to get the rent paid. And that's where, you know, commie like me is like, well, and it's literally a meme I've been seeing over and over. Um, it's if, if, the, if the owner needs your rent to stay housed, then you're the one providing housing to them, not the other way around. And just as it's shown, you know, if someone is paying rent and that is what's providing the housing, and the only thing that the owner is providing is calling up the plumber and paying some of those bills and paying the property taxes, but it's something that, like, and if the rent pays for all of that plus a surplus, that's where the exploitation comes in. If it was completely at cost, right, that would be a completely different model. But as it is, there's surplus. So it's like the tenant, the tenants of a building could, in fact, own it. Why not? This is just a matter of generational wealth or well, where the wealth comes from to purchase the home in the first place. Some people getting mortgages, others not, because, oh, they don't have good enough credit, something like that. You'll go on and on ranting about that. But I'm going to go further now into... More housing issues. One that is, let's just focus on one neighborhood, the Warehouse District of Albany. Major projects mean growth and questions in Albany's Warehouse District. An influx of restaurants, breweries, and now apartments will transform the neighborhood, but the transformation is drawing concern from companies that have long called the area home. Because, unlike certain other areas of urban blight, the Warehouse District isn't all blight. You have had various businesses and companies 
So long, the long developing plan to convert an area of city. And of course, there's a question: Who is making the plans here? The long developing plan to convert an area of the city once known for manufacturing uh, into a thriving residential area is getting major lift into two new projects that is that are expected to bring hundreds of new apartments into the warehouse district for the next year. Now, originally, the warehouse district was like the lumber district. Big, one of Albany's old big industries was lumber. Lots of logging in the Adirondacks, and the logs would be floated down or barged down, um, downriver from the, down the mighty Hudson, and be offloaded here for processing. I mean, some of it would be done in Glens Falls, and uh, but uh, then it, a lot of it was done here. And so you had a major lumber center along the river. So Redburn and Rosenblum Development Corp. announced projects last week that will bring at least five businesses and 350 apartments to the area, which include the redevelopment of the Huck Finn Furniture Store building and its surrounding property, because it does have like a ring of parking lot around it. Developments at either end of the district are the latest signs of residential growth in the area that have long been the domain of manufacturers, but the new projects are raising questions about how the city will balance the needs of developers, new residents, and existing businesses in an area built around Broadway in the northern end of Albany. The, de- the redevelopment of the warehouse district began nearly a decade ago, you know, 2014-ish. Uh, maybe it was, uh, I think it was 2015 or so. As the city and its economic development arms, multiples, sought to overhaul the city's zoning code and create a sense of place in the city and city neighborhoods. So this was the rezone rezone process. I was part of it. I went to several meetings and uh, and, and, uh, followed the process. Uh, Much of the area's growth in recent years took hold with restaurants and craft beverage, beverage manufacturers Craft beverage. Yeah, they, they won't say alcohol or beer, just drink or drinking district. Uh, manufacturers like Nine Pin Cider and Druthers Brewery setting up shop. But the city has also made a, you know, so because they are producing there as well. But the city has made a focused effort to lure residents, marketing the new neighborhood to developers for apartments and mixed use buildings. So this is the city advertising and like getting. They're not, like, contracting it themselves, of course. They're not paying for anything, but they're like, come, come, developers. Look at the profits you can make here. An up-and-coming bar district for the, for the up-and-coming professionals, young professionals. Uh, it has launched a survey of the area's historic buildings with the goal of putting in the state, of putting a bunch of them on the state and national registers of historic places, such designations would open access to further redevelopment funding and tax credits. So it's sort of like the city is doing work, putting work in, so that any developers that come in get a nice tax break. So it's like it's double duty. You know, they're paying for the stutter, survey and the studies so that businesses don't have to. It's, and so it's like another, another attractor, another reason for these large corporations to come in and build things. And what's weird about it to me, though, with Huck Fins and what have you, is like the development of buildings that already exist, so you get tax credits, versus the vacant lots and empty areas where I believe should be, you know, you sh- we, we want infill development happening. But you get the tax credits if you basically convert 
a warehouse building that exists because that's what exists in that, you know, it's a warehouse district. You get money, tax credits anyway, so you save some money in the project to convert an already existing building versus building something new. So what I'm seeing with a pattern here, what's already been done, is we're not having a lot of new buildings being put up. Some of them are, though. The bigger ones are, but they're not infill development. They're wrecking the block and then building like something that takes up half the block or something, something oversized, something that doesn't fit or make sense or what have you. And, and to me, the Finsving also doesn't make sense because that's nowhere near the bus line. It's off of Broadway, really. So anyone who lives there is going to be like car dependent for the most part. And that's why it's weird. Like you'll have a few businesses along with the apartments in Huck Finns. I'm like, oh, great. Well, I mean, people would drive to Huck Finns, right? People would need to drive to get the furniture and transport, of course. But but now it's like something that doesn't actually need a bunch of parking lot and asphalt. But it's going to still need it because it's not on the bus line. And there isn't really a direct or short walking route to get to Broadway where the bus line is. So I'm like, this doesn't make sense How putting housing in there. Like Erie Boulevard, which is where Huck Fence is on, it's this long, straight road that's designed to have industrial along it and zoned that way or been zoned that way because it doesn't have many cross streets linking it up with Broadway, the main thoroughfare, and there's also no paths or whatever to get to the river uh, because you have 787 there blocking the way, and it's that great. So I'm like, that's not where housing should go. There's infill development that should be happening, not only in the warehouse district because there are still vacant lots and stuff or parking or just, you know, flat parking lot, but also everywhere else in the city too, which is why, like, the rezone was about densifying the area using form-based zoning, it's called, around the bus stops, where the bus stops are, not only the 22 line, but the now express route that goes to Troy. That's where the, like the housing should be, and some of it is, but uh, it, right, it's it's based on the predilections of the developer and the and the and the idea of you know saving money and getting tax credits for converting the warehouses that are already there into housing. So it's like you have all these warehouse turned housing, and you still have all these gaps, and it still looks like kind of desolate uh, for the most part. The area's industrial past, rooted in the Hudson River and shipping, left hulking spaces that appeared to be of little use as Albany's economy moved away from manufacturing. But, of course, there's still a lot of businesses there. If you actually look around, there isn't really that much abandonment or abandonment that hasn't been taken down or that's where the brownfields and vacant lots come in. You know, it's, it's already gone. It needs build something new. So the strategy was threefold. Support existing businesses, give new interests a space to grow, and turn old industrial locations into mixed-use properties. We had nightlife interests that needed somewhere to go and was organically moving to the warehouse district, she said. Now, it wasn't quite organic. It was, we had nightlife in other parts of the city, but it was forced out with the cabaret law, which limited how much music, live music you could have, or you need a certain permit, and there's just a lot of restrictions. So if you're going to have nightlife, you know, that, okay, the warehouse district makes sense. No one lives there. 
but now you're going to fill it up with people who live there again, which is kind of like defeats the purpose of it, I obviously the demographics are going to be different, right? It's like, Oh, the people are going to move in or people who like loud noise or, you know, but, but again, I am not seeing any music venues uh, existing on uh, in the warehouse district yet. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a thing, but it's, it, it's just, these are just ingenuous ways of talking about it. It, it was organic, but uh, they've, as this article has been pointing out, it's, plan there's nothing or is organic about this development i'm okay with that but don't pretend it was organic um it just shifted it's just where like all oh, the inertia went that way for some reason <laughs> as with most change and it's also um not just that area the warehouse district has also been like an empire tax credit zone which has been a much longer program maybe going back to the 90s where it's like we're going to set aside this huge area of the city and if you start your business there, you get a tax credit um, or something like that. And that's why there are businesses along Broadway. I learned this. As with most change, disruption is inevitable. And at least one longtime family business feels that its concerns are being discounted with the focus on more growth in the area. A dispute between Druthers Brewing Company and Surpass Chemical highlights some of the conflict that the city will have to deal with as it encourages further development in the area. Oh, isn't disruption good? Surpass Chemical supplies crucial chemicals to some of the region's largest employers, as well as to retailers and local water departments. That's not doing much to explain what they make, but whatever. Last year, Druthers received a variance from the city's zoning board of appeals to build an outdoor deck along Bridge Street. But Surpass Chemical objected and sued, arguing that Druthers failed to follow several steps in the application process. A judge agreed, and this is something that was supposedly fixed with the rezone, that there'd be a quick and streamlined application process. A judge agreed that the deck had gone back to the board for more discussion as the two businesses discuss possible compromises. This does not get into their objections, though. Like, why do they, why are they against the deck? Yeah, is, is it just uh, too loud or, or something? I mean, do they feel that their work their business, which probably has some noxious vapors coming off of it, or maybe there's, are they admitting that they put out a certain amount of air pollution that maybe you shouldn't have an outdoor deck within a block radius of their building? Is Druthers being really stupid about this? That, oh yeah, I mean, they can make more money with an outdoor deck, but are they putting people in danger? Are they going to be sick? Oh, it's not my problem. It's not saying that though. I'd have to do my own research. Who would I ask? I'd have to be an investigative journalist. Maybe in another life. Give me 10 years. So let's see. Oh, okay, maybe this does um, explain it. Tyler Smith, Surpass's general manager, said the two businesses have competed for parking spaces along Bridge Street since Druthers opened. The deck's handicap accessible ramp would have met the sidewalk right next to where the company's industrial scale is located a step too far for surpass. The scale is used to weigh trucks and cargo. So you're putting a ADA compliant ramp next to a large industrial tool area. I can kind of understand why they would think that's unsafe. But it also mentions they're competing about with parking. Oh, there's so much, there's not enough parking there. Well, you know, well, I mean, if, if they have trucks pulling in and out, right? So there's that. 
Very inefficient way of transporting things, by the way. Bring back the rail. Uh, the chemical manufacturer's biggest focus is on safety and more growth in the surrounding area brings more worries, he said. Part of the city's zoning for the area requires it to consider the viability of existing businesses as it weighs new developments. Where is the balance? Where is keeping the viability of existing businesses? We don't see it. Ray Gelly noted the craft beverage industry fits into the overall history of the neighborhood with production and manufacturing and back and retail out front. Of course, historically, it was all lumber. <laughs> uh, Capitalized Albany has had conversations with Surpass and other industrial businesses on how to manage those concerns as the neighborhood changes. We continue to do that and want to be supportive and be a resource for anyone that is feeling a pinch because of some of the new development and that needs to adapt. General neoliberal answer. Doesn't really help. Capitalize Albany has supported much of the apartment growth in the city for the past few years, proving tax breaks and payment in lieu of tax agreements for some projects. Well, maybe most projects. But you know, maybe they're, select they're selective, whatever. Capitalize Albany, which is pseudo-private. I believe they are an agency of this created by the city, but they are like a non they act as a a private, like they're an art. You know, it's it's pseudo private. It's it's another neoliberal tool for gentrification, pretty much. As their goals is to you know they're they're the arm, they're the group that does the advertising for the city. You know, bringing we want investment dollars to come in. So that's their role to bring in the investment to the capitalization. Now I, you know, I prefer socialize Albany. I like a group called Socialize Albany. That's more about um, reorganizing city resources and talent and people and what have you to benefit communities, every type of them. But anyway, the area should expect to see more growth. Reganelli said market studies show vacancy rates for, for downtown and warehouse district apartments under 3%. Some buildings have a wait list prior to opening. So you have all these luxury, well, I call them luxury, but I mean, they're market rate apartments and um, they are in fact being sold. But of course, who's buying them? What are the demographics? Are they all just investment? Is it, is it all just BlackRock maybe? Just because they have buyers doesn't mean they're on the up and up or they're simple working uh, middle, middle income folks um, growing the economy from the middle out. We keep refreshing those to make sure that we're staying ahead of the curve so that we're not encouraging more development than the market can handle. The last thing you want is, you know, um, too much housing so prices go down, uh, as market uh, boosters would say. You know, oh, if you want prices to go down and rent to go down, we need more housing. But they're saying, no, 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 we don't want too much housing, right? Because then you can't maximize profit. So the newest projects on the market will both bring something new to the city's residential market. May 26, Rosenblum Development broke ground on industrial apartments, a 22 million mixed-use development at 745 Broadway. Industry will be a 110,000 square foot building on what was previously a parking lot. Okay, that is what I want to see. The five-story building will include 80 market-rate apartments and a restaurant space. The building is focused on being environmentally friendly. It will give off zero emissions thanks to fully electrified systems. 
solar arrays, and other features. Now, the building won't have so emissions, but that electricity does need to be made somewhere. And it's not all going to be renewables, and to be frank, it's not, it just can't be all renewables. So the plan is to offer amenities ranging from a roof deck with cook station to a pet spa and heated indoor bicycle storage, according to Rosenblum. Oh, boy, that's that'll be affordable. That's it. That's that's where I go from. Uh, is it just market rate or is it luxury? The site is near Clinton Square, a space viewed as a connector between downtown and warehouse. You know, as far as the disnification of Albany comes in. Why do I call it that? Because uh, when it, I don't know if it was Capitalize Albany. I think it was. Yeah, it was Capitalize Albany. They came out with like their market study for downtown in the warehouse district, and it literally like it looked like a Disney park map, where it's like the historic downtown here, and uh, <laughs> the titles are literally like a Disney park. You know, Clinton Square, like you know, Freedom Square Warehouse District. You know, it's, uh, Frontier, and, and then and then you go up the hill to the hood. That's Frontierland. Ooh, there's the natives are there and they're restless. <laughs> uh, and racist caricatures abound. All it's missing is a fairy tale castle. Oh, look, it's Gracie Mansion. <laughs> or the capital itself is a big castle. Uh, it's not very far from downtown to the warehouse district, but it feels much further because that streetscape is broken up and there isn't that fatality right now. They use that word so much fatality. Mural pointed to progress that had already been made on that front, such as the new Capitol Rep Theater location, that's up on North Pearl, and the Skyway Park, which doesn't really... Well, I guess it will make more connections in time, but right now it's just a big loopway. The day before Rosenblum's announcement, Redburn Development unveiled its four commercial tenants at the former warehouse at Huck Finns on Erie Boulevard. The building was rechristened Slip 12. <laughs> A nod to the now-defunct dry docks in the building's basement that service ships along the canal. Redburn already has four commercial partners lined up that literally built, you know, the, the, the very foundations. You know, we're giving homage to it. It's like land acknowledgments. Redburn already has four commercial partners lined up, a third tap room and brewing space. How much drinking do these people need to do? Also a, you know, let's see, a fitness company workout room motor oil coffee, and a reimagined Huck Finn home design and style, in addition to the 270 apartments. I looked at those plans. I didn't quite like them because rather than cutting like a new courtyard void in the center so that the apartments have good lighting, they, they're kind of just getting daylit from the top through skylights. And the windows of the apartments are just kind of going out into the corridors. So kind of depressing sounding to me i think there was good intention behind the concept of the warehouse district he said what it needs is execution well i'm sure capitalized albany would say they're executing it quite well buell said the city lacks a specific vibe a void he believes a successfully redeveloped warehouse district could fill he pointed to the success of early arrivals in the neighborhood like nine pin cider which opened its tasting room in 2014 we're just looking to build on that legacy. It's, it's interesting to call something a legacy when it's uh, it's only like eight years old. It's steroids into an existing legacy. <laughs> it's it's basically yeah, it's taking the small mom and pop, uh, small time businesses, and we're injecting real money in it. 
We're going to make some real money. Creating a dense, livable district where industrial employers can exist alongside tenants of larger apartment buildings is a political challenge that requires give and take to figure out, he added. We're taking opportunities as they come to us. It's a difficult challenge, he said. It's kind of ignoring all the reasons why industrial areas were removed from residential areas, separated a la SimCity style. Surpass Smith said he understands the need for growth and change, but he is worried that longtime employers who stayed in the area when others left will be left behind as more apartments spring up. You know, they, they want to be rewarded for sticking around. And, you know, some type of loyalty to Albany is, is uh, something to be recognized. We want to coexist. We like where we are, he said. Maybe at the end the answer here is to help move us, and this could become part of the new vision. Does he mean that literally, help move his business? That's kind of an odd way of phrasing it, but maybe that's just the TU's usual style. Okay. So I'm about to reach the end of the hour, which I promised to keep to. So what else do I want? Let's see. I didn't close it. Let's, let's, uh, this is a fundraising page for someone who, I don't know if used to or still works for United Tenants of Albany. And it's called We Don't Talk About Landlords. So this is more of a defense or a middle ground approach. Let's not be antagonistic kind of framing, which I'm not really for, but I'm going to represent it anyway because I don't always just want to be a mean-spirited frothing at the mouth. Kami, she was a court advocate. Um, Her name is Julia Long. This is her fundraising page on GoFundMe. So I'm boosting that as well. So I'm not just critic. Criticizing. So my name is Julia. I'm a fundraising. I am fundraising to obtain resources that will support the work that I've been doing for free. When I first began my work as a court advocate with United Tenants of Albany, applying the, as a volunteer, I went to court five days a week searching for technicalities in the petition submitted by landlords. I had one goal in mind: to secure a win against bad landlords. But it didn't take long for me to learn that not all landlords were bad actors, and that the adversarial means of resolving conflict was not designed for ongoing relationships, short-term or long-term, as tenant-landlord-tenant relationships are. This is a problem with the criminal justice system, as well as, well, the relations between those with property and those without. Uh, What I learned was that many landlords are themselves struggling to make ends meet. The tenants don't talk about how, well, maybe she she should call them, what was it, um, professional housing specialists or something like that. What I learned was that many landlords are themselves struggling. Okay. The tenants don't talk about how the landlords are saddled with property taxes, water, sewer, and garbage bills, not to mention mortgages. That's a bank issue, though. That's, that's where the banks are the real oppressors. Mandatory housing repairs and school taxes because the tenants don't know. Well, they, I know. That doesn't make me nicer. <laughs> anyway. Now that the rent memorandums have ended, tenants no longer have housing protections and are faced with homelessness and an unfathomable crisis. The landlords don't talk about the tenant's job loss, medical emergencies, unexpected illnesses, or death in the family, deaths in their families. The landlord just thinks the tenant is just trying to get one over on them because the landlord doesn't know. When the reality is the tenant may be too ashamed to admit they are struggling financially as well and don't talk to them about it. These days, I don't want to find a loophole in the law or a technicality in the petition that will keep the tenant in their apartment if it creates a hostile living environment for all parties. Instead, I want to facilitate a positive relationship between parties based on mutual respect. 
one that begins with open, uninterrupted communication. These days, yeah, she doesn't just want to find loopholes and, you know, just fight for tenants. She wants a new normal. She wants to change the status quo. Uh, this is important to me because I know the positive communication works. I know that the shelters are already full, and I'm a homeowner too. I know that a portion of the taxes that I pay go to essential services. As homelessness increases, so will my taxes. We, are e we all either communicate and work together now, or it will be to all of our detriment very shortly, and I cannot afford it. This is important to me because I cannot afford to give a dollar to the guy on Everett Road with a sign on his T-shirt. I need that dollar. I can't afford to put change in the cup of the man by the Hudson waterfront. I could use the cup of coffee myself. I cannot afford to buy electric heaters for tenants with no heat in their apartments, but I can show up at court and do my best to facilitate communication along the party so that all of the above mentioned so that all the above-mentioned citizens, we all Banians, have safe, warm homes to go to. If you cannot do it, please help me to do it. Catholic Charities funded my former position for over 40 years. When the funding ended in December, I became unemployed. Yet every day, I still work to help tenants who are facing eviction and landlords who depend on rental income. So the situation, actually, is that she has been a paid advocate and... Yeah, court advocate. and uh, But the funding has ended. So she needs, uh, and like all good activists, they should be paid for their work. So I believe maybe I'll actually chip in. When I first read this, I was like, oh, God, look at this hippie uh, communicate. You know, oh, we have, you know, no communication. But you know what? I Second look, it's good. It's good. Especially where, you know, it's, it's, more, it's more how one I interpret it. Maybe I was in a bad mood and I'm interpreting as like, oh, she just wants to do more like bougie charity work and, uh, you know, and, and see things from both sides. You know, it's just, I just hear, oh, both sides. We've got to see it from the landlord's perspective, you know. But they're never going to be homeless. But she is right that when, you know, we're all going, we're all squeezed, you know, that Rather, by all I mean, if you're not already poor, then you are on the precipice of being poor. You're just one bad day away from being poor, and the poor are one bad day from being broke. But the and the corporations are not one bad day from being uh, from going out of business or from ending or from losing their home. And that's that's the system that systemic injustice at work here. And so, the purpose of this program going forward is to sort of tease out, if not study, and relate and report the unspoken rules of our society. Uh, unspoken rules, the unwritten rules of, uh, of the ways of how things really work. Because once you do that investigation, that interrogation, ask the right questions and get them answered or find some sort of answer to them, you find that it's, it's, it's lies all the way down. That rather, I mean, what you find is a bunch of contradictory and or um, untrue, un unrealistic beliefs and things, you know, and, and, and like to get hippish about it, like belief in money and profit and how, you know, it needs to be happening to make the world go round and some things like that sort of beliefs I've interrogated doing the three left show for the last four years for back to all that, for all, you know, basic anti-capitalism 
and general socialist beliefs and whatever. Strategies for system change. But one way of doing changing the status quo, or rather the, maybe the main way, is to reveal how screwed up it really is. That the Times Union can report things in the matter-of-fact way it does. And say, like, oh, you know, there's these problems, but, you know, uh, we'll end on, you know, hopeful note every time. Oh, maybe, maybe, you know, at the end of the day, the chemical company will just have to be paid to move out. Um, or at least that will be the final, like, you know, yeah, city government will help me, all right. They'll help me on my way. Just as, it's not the same thing, but thinking about Huck Fens, is, you know, when Hoffman's Playland closed um it was a matter of you had the owners the family who ran it they wanted to retire good on them but they also wanted to sell it you know they wanted to sell it for a premium i mean to sell the land and so on i mean the natural capitalistic thing to do despite all the families and the communities that you know wanted hoffman's playland to continue but there was no particular buyer for the park as it was and the land as it is and run it um, why not? Why, why was there no buyer? Well, it's just a matter of like, there's no buyer to afford it. But really when there's like, you know, there's the buyer of last resort, in my opinion, is the government. And in this case, it, Albany County would be a perfect candidate, but Albany County responding to the cries of the community who wanted to save Hoppins Playland, or at least the rides said, okay, we'll pay to transport them to whoever will take them. And Huckman said, we'll take them. We have a, big parking lot that we're not really using, um, not using enough. And we, we know that we'll, you know, make some money hosting the rides called Huckfin's Playland, right? Pretty much the same as, as Hoffman's, except it doesn't have the full buildings and the arcade and food stands, I, I believe, but, and it's not in, you know, more of a quote unquote rural suburban, suburban area. It's the opposite. <laughs> it's industrial street, uh, hardscape. So I didn't think it was the right place. Really, I'd rather we have governments that are like, you know what, we'll be the buyer of last resort. We'll buy it. We'll run it. We'll set up an agency to run it. Just as Albany has an agency that runs the parking garages. Parking garages that, uh, you know, it's, it's again, it's semi-public. It's not the city itself, but it's part of the city or if agency or authority that was created by the city. And they run things like a business. Which frightens me, or angers me, actually, that, like, you know, parking in the city is, is, like, actually seen as a business model. That they, the leader, or the chair, or the, whatever his title is, head of the parking authority, sees his role as competing with other private lots, as well as keeping the revenue flowing to keep the parking garages open or whatever. Keep the revenue flowing. Like any other business, the recession hit us hard, and we need to recoup this way by, as he put it, getting customers back. You know, we need to get our customers back. You know, meaning we actually do want all these commuters come come into Albany. We want them to drive into Albany and park in our garages, which to me is like the opposite of what good policy would be. Like, is that, is that really a goal of the city? We want to encourage drive commuter driving and and all of the negativities of that so anyway his plan was like let's make we need to 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 attract our customer base back 
to, to pre-COVID levels. We need to increase the parking. We need to improve the parking experience. And I got such a kick from that, the parking experience. Now, in, the project in his eyes was the, the beautification of the alleyways between the parking garages, you know, to, from dingy uh, alleyways, easy to piss in, uh, to, uh, to artsing them up. And he's been doing that, and the pictures of these uh, completed art projects are now up on uh, Albany photography pages. And so whenever I see one of them, I go like, oh, the parking experience has been improved. <laughs> oh, what great parking experience. Which is funny because like, you have people maybe who live in Albany like liking it. But I'm like, this is public art paid with public money or by a public authority. And it's in a place that only people who commute from outside the city will see it, or at least see it m most often, when public art like this should be other places, in the parks or in, in alleyways in, in the hood, you know? Um, now, yeah, there are art grants and whatever for murals in the South End and in Arbor Hill, but not nice public art like this that, that should go in the parks and stuff. Or, I, you know, I'd like to see more of not just between parking garages that to me just shouldn't exist in the first place. Okay. So anyway, I'm just going to play. I'm going to play some Weird Al and be done with it. Have a good night, folks.